This morning's sermon probably has more questions in it than answers. I actually don't even know if I know where to start. I thought I had it planned, ready to go, yet last night something changes that. Talking to a girl whose church asks her to leave because, well, it's just easier for all concerned if she does. Walking past eight homeless people on the way home after enjoying a good night out. Grace. Seeing a man sitting at an ATM machine begging for money as I take a picture of him on my iPhone. How does Grace look? And I told you a couple of weeks ago it wouldn't be long till we were back in this territory. Grace, Grace is all over this chapter this morning. In the letters that have preceded this one, Paul has been addressing specific circumstances and struggles in individual congregations. Yet here in Ephesians, we find a roadmap for living, for individual believers, but also community, communities of believers. Here, Paul tells us what we need in order to grow up in Christ. So this morning, if you will, why don't we take a little dander or a walk through these verses and see what God is saying to us, saying to us what grace looks like on Botanic, in our homes, in our communities, in our world. Let's let's look and see. I was thinking about going on a journey. I got my map. I plotted out exactly where I thought I should go and see. I trip-advisored it, oh, and I gave myself a shock. But sure, you can't really believe all that you read anyway, can you? I stuck a comment up on Facebook, told people where I was going, asked had anyone been there, and was there anything they could recommend. A few likes and comments later, I kind of knew all the hot spots to see. I packed my bags, changed my currency, boarded the flight. Then, then... I arrived. So it is for the Apostle Paul in our reading this morning. We turn the page and we start a new chapter and we find ourselves, guess what, in new territory. We enter a country that we've been looking at for a while, but looking at from a distance. This country of resurrection. Paul, up to now, has been allowing us to see the landscapes, to view the vistas, to research this life that we're leading, but now we're there. We are in resurrection country. And now that we're here, it's a sensory overload. We can see it, we can taste it, we can smell it, we can feel it. It is within our grasp. We're in the country of salvation. We're in the community of saints, as we were hearing last week, despite of our failings, our fallings, and our stumblings, our baggage, and our hardships. It's one thing to see it, it's another to encounter and experience it. You have to get off the bus tour, you have to stop writing the postcards, and you have to just experience it for yourself. Here, Paul tells us how. He makes it quite plain to us. You were dead, now you are alive. Death or life, resurrection is the land in which we live. 
We can't be spectators. Growing up requires that we, growing up requires commitment. We have to make ourselves at home and we have to unpack the bag. Of course, it's totally understandable as we enter into this new life and new experience that we will continue to bring into it some of our feelings, some of the things that we've been living with for years, some of those habits that just seem to die hard. After all, we've been living with them for years, if you can call it living. But now we're on a journey, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, we are growing. And we're growing into the full stature of Christ. We're no longer focused on the Friday, but we're looking at the Sunday. Folded grave clothes, rolled away stones, potential opportunity, excitement, the unknown. So what's different? Peterson talks in his interpretation and commentary on the book of Ephesians that really this resurrection living has a different theme song than the anthem of the world around us. Peterson talks about how we need to have an acquired passivity. When you think of passivity or passiveness, what springs into your mind this morning? Lazy, good for nothing, couch potato, good for nothing, Passivity runs a little different to the anthem of our age. Success, ambition, drive. These are the people we should admire. These are the people whose Facebook comments we like. These are the people we buy books about because we're trying to emulate their life. Make more money, acquire more degrees, winning every match we're ever involved in, having enough disposable income to buy the latest iPhone 5. I don't know about you, but when, we, when I was watching some of the, the footage of, of the release of the new Apple product on Friday, queues, queues everywhere. When you looked at London, queues. Not even just outside the Apple store, no, actually outside St. Paul's Cathedral. Now, they weren't queuing to get into Paul, St. Paul's Cathedral, that, but that, they were queuing there because that was how far back the queue to the nearest iShop went. People looking and queuing for the Eucharist of consumerism from their latest Apple-logoed cathedral. How does grace look in a world that has an app for everything? Paul is asking us the things we do, the things we buy, do we do them? Do we buy them because they give praises and glory to God's name? Or do they help us feel a little bit better about ourselves? Do they help us feel well, just that little bit superior, just a little bit different. Why are we doing it? Look around the world this morning at our role models, immature celebrities beaming down from uh, magazines and shops with perfect lives, and we seek to follow them. Immature sports stars letting us down both on and off the field. Immature millionaires walking out on their family. These are the figures that we let set the standards for our world. Get a name for yourself, beat your way to the top, get rid of the competition. Resurrection living this morning, just like the computer in Little Britain says no to this kind of grasping. Resurrection living is a radical departure. Resurrection living is about maturity. Resurrection living is about being counter-cultural. Abraham, Moses, Elijah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Esther, what do they have in common? Counter-cultural. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what do they have in common? Present us with a counter-cultural Jesus. 
But what is the foundation of all this counterculturalness? Grace. Amazing grace. A song to sing. God's riches at Christ's expense. An idea bandied about. Grace. Christianese, as Marcus Borg would say. A word used in a variety of ways. Time for lunch. Would you say grace? Did you see how she moved with such grace on the dance floor? Have I introduced you to my friend, Grace? A word used in a variety of ways, yet none of these ways get the meaning of its true nature. They miss the purpose of it. They fall short. Grace is an embracing. It's an extension of God's love. It's a way to live. It's a giving and a receiving. We receive from God. God gives. Then what? Do we keep it for ourselves? or do we share it? Amazing grace, how sweet the sign that saved a wretch like me. Yes, it did, but it doesn't stop with me. There's more. Grace is what allows Emma Spence to say at the funeral of her brothers and her father so tragically killed last week. They didn't talk God, they just did God. Action, intention, purpose, verb. See, I am learning. Action, intention, purpose, cross. Action, intention, purpose, resurrection. Action, purpose, intention, us. Action, intention, purpose, botanic. Grace, surely there is something wrong this morning if we're keeping this one bottled. Surely there's something wrong that if Grace gets into our cars with us, drives here, comes in here, has a good time, gets into its car and drives home and doesn't leave an impact on the community around us. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians this morning, is saying, by grace, you have been saved. It's grace or nothing. No escape plan, no plan B, no exit route. If we don't know this morning what grace is, I suggest you don't even try looking it up in the dictionary, because grace is everywhere to be experienced, yet nowhere to be explained. Grace is invisible, yet somehow gets caught up in all that we think, say, do, act from day to day. But we're in a world that really doesn't do invisibles. We are growing up in a world that just can't cope with invisibles. Explain it to me. Let me see it. Then I'll believe it. Any idea can be explained away down to its lowest common denominator. Cause and effect. Grace, countercultural. Grace can't be explained. Yet, grace is everywhere to be experienced. We are people. We have a lot to do. We have jobs to do, things to learn, places to go, people to see, family to help. The list seems endless. We get to the end of the week or we get to our summer holidays and we think, great, few. What do we do then? Well, there are books to read, there are walks to take, there's traffic to struggle with, there's even places of reflection and quietness. But once these breaks are over, what do we do? Well, we just return to the real world. In resurrection living, there is no such distinction. There is no rest world and real world. It's all God's world. How does grace look today? Faith this morning in Christ is a plunge into grace. It's a drenching in grace. It's a plunge in 
to grace. And Fitzroy, what a good job we are doing. You look at these pews and the people sitting in them and you see, well, look, we have had an impact on our country, on our area. But grace this morning isn't static. Grace never ceases. Grace is always asking the question, well, what next? Where now? What's the next thing that we need to do? It's not just for me. It's about helping others encounter it. In our call to worship this morning, we read from Genesis chapter 1, the story of how God gets things going. And we don't, we don't want to get bogged down into how you interpret that, but just look at the rhythm of it. God makes light. What a gift. God's work, God's gift. God makes sky, sheer gift, God's work, God's gift. God makes earth and sea, plants and trees, sheer gift, God's work, God's gift. God makes sun and moon and stars, marking seasons, days, and years, sheer gift, God's work, God's gift. God makes animals domestic and wild, God's work, God's gift. God makes man and woman, sheer gift, God's work, God's gift. Yet, somehow, we get drawn into it. We're let into it. It's gift freely given to us to walk around in and explore. Paul, in his reading today, is saying there's more. There's more than a time and a date. There's a life to live. And life like grace is constantly moving. We are grace givers. See the impact if we can just grasp it. Grace, a girl's name or an idea to change the world as Steve so often reminds us. But wait, hang on a minute. Are you up for it? Are you up for the messiness of grace? Are you up for the people that might just sit here if we share that grace with them? Or is it just an idea we're going to bandy about? Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace? See, I do read conservative scholars sometimes. Uh, Philip Yancey tells the story of a prostitute who came to him, who he encountered in all her wretchedness. She was crying. She was at the end of her tether. Through her sobs and her tears, he learned this, that not only was she renting herself out of an evening, but she was renting out her two-year-old daughter as well. And she, she earned more in an hour for letting men have their way with her daughter than she could earn in an entire night. She had to do it, life or death. She was trying to support a family and a growing drug habit. Philip then asks her, have you ever thought about going to church and asking for help? And the look on her face and the words that she said never left him and have haunted him ever since. Church, she cried, why would I go there? I'm already feeling terrible about myself. They'd make me feel much worse. As Gordon MacDonald would say, you do not have to be a Christian to go to some country and build a school. You do not have to be a Christian to uh, feed the hungry. You don't even have to be a Christian to feed the sick. Yet there is one thing that this church can offer that is unique, and it's grace. The buck this morning stops with us. What are we doing with this amazing grace? It's rare in this country to find churches trying to outgrace each other. Sure, we'll check how sound we are, how many have been saved from week to week, 
how our numbers are growing, how many we have got on our communion roll, but grace. Oh, for a competition to see which of the Presbyterian churches in Ireland were out gracing each other. Creation, God's work. Jesus and his work, a way for an invisible God to be seen. Us, well, Paul lets us in in on it. There are good works for us to do. We are a container for God's grace in the world around us. Certainly we aren't angels, but we are saints. We're growing, we're molding, we're changing, we're growing up. Resurrection. Yet we have a purpose, a point, a role, and a job to do. During the week while I was preparing, and bear with me, I'm stretching this one a bit, I was listening to Leonard Cohen, and one of the songs kept coming up time and time again. First we take Manhattan, then we take Berlin, seemed to be on every time I got into the car. And normally my music's on shuffle, so it was more than a coincidence. But anyway, Fitzroy this morning, first we take Botanic, then we take where? Fitzroy, we take grace to Botanic. Fitzroy, we take grace to our homes. Fitzroy, we take grace to our communities. Fitzroy, we take grace. Bearers of a gift, seeking out others to let encounter this gift. So what are we going to do about it? Are we going to sing it? Are we going to pray it? Are we going to name our kids after it? Or are we just going to get out and do it? Mike has a logo, just do it. How about this morning, our logo for life is grace, just do it. Oh God, give us the courage to do the latter. Grace to to the students struggling to get home at the end of the night. Grace to the mother struggling to cope. Grace to the refugee just looking for food and for shelter. Grace to the guy or the girl in the gay bar. Grace to the person gambling their life away. Grace to the big issue seller. Grace to the victim of domestic violence. Grace, not label. Grace, not tolerance. Grace, not judgment. Because this morning and this evening and every day of the week, they are on our doorsteps. Where was Jesus during the time of his earthly ministry? No offense, Desi, he wasn't at Union College. He wasn't reading books about God. He didn't try to theorize God. No, he just got out and was and is and did God with the sinners, with the prostitutes, with the tax collectors of the day. And why? All for grace. Oh, but wait, didn't the religious leaders of the day try to kill him exactly for that? They couldn't handle this message of grace. Mike Scott sings, bring them all in. Oh, for a church this morning where all are welcome. Oh, for a church this morning where we journey through life together. Oh, for a church where past is past and future is something lived together. Bring them all in, Mike Scott would sing. Grace for all. Grace. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, following Jesus in the 21st century can be trying. Following Jesus in the 21st century can be difficult. Following Jesus at any time in history is difficult. Difficult because following Jesus means you upset the order of things. Different and difficult 
because it is so counter-cultural. We believe in a God who has created all people equally, who loves all people unconditionally, and wants to have relationship with all people. Oh, Father, send us out this morning to bring your grace on our doorstep. Show us new ways. Introduce us to people we thought we'd never talked to. Help us put our labels behind us and move forward with common cause and purpose. Oh, Jesus, help us encounter your grace today and help us show it to others today, this week, this month, this year, forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.